is Delta Sierra Juliet. Is there any known traffic below 5,000 feet? No known traffic. Seems to be a large aircraft below 5,000 feet. What type of aircraft is it? I cannot confirm. It's four bright, seems to me like landing lights. The aircraft has just passed over me at at least 1,000 feet above. Is there any Air Force aircraft in the vicinity? No known aircraft in the vicinity. Seems to be playing some sort of game. He's flying over me. Delta Sierra Juliet, it's not an aircraft, it's... The defendant's commission of these four murders over a 10-day period is one of the worst killing sprees in the history of this state. Skin them sometimes, uh, slit them, slit them all the way open. Uh, I'm here looking for the spirits of anybody that still remains. I have a device in my hand. If you would like to talk to it, please come forward. Tell me your story. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. Then I felt like I really offered society something. You are listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. Guys, welcome to another episode of Serial Spirits, the podcast. It is me, your host, Brendan Shane. With me, as always, is the beautiful, the lovely... Annie Weaves. How are you, Shea Bay? Why are you laughing over there? (laughs) Because of your fake Australian accent because of tonight's show. Oh, because I'm doing my Aussie... You were doing your land down under, and it was really awkward. Well, now you just ruined it. I (laughs) I had this whole cold open that I was going to do, Annie, that I had written down. I'm glad that I ruined it. And you ruined it. I was going to say, we're going across the ocean. We're, we're going to travel today. We are traveling today. Again, the last episode we traveled, and we're going to the land down under. The land down under. But before you uh, get your koala bear out here, I got some some really awesome five-star reviews this week that I want to give a shout out to everybody who has shown Serial Spirits some love. Uh, I'm actually going to read a few of these, if that's okay with that's you, Shay. Perfect. That's perfect. Page eight, page 87 said, binge-worthy AF, amazing podcast. It's been in my rotation for a while. Such a wonderful job. Keep it up. Thank you so much, Paige. That would go good with vodka, said newfound fave. As a listener of many podcasts, this one has really gotten my attention. Very informative and entertaining. Very well done. Keep up the great work. Thank you, ladies, so much. Have a vodka for us. Cheers. Uh, that's a bingo said amazing show seriously love the show super addicting and great quality host our pros happy to subscribe you guys are phenomenal thank you so much for all those I feel like there was one more oh yes Mac Tapey said awesome listening great editing and music production a truly professional effort especially for an indie show the hosts have great chemistry and clarity of voice and it's clear they care about their craft and the cases they cover, great job, Annie and Shay. 
Wow, thank you very that much. That warms my cold little black heart. Uh, me too. That's pretty, that's that's awesome, guys. So thank you guys so much. Uh, you guys, if you're listening, please, and you like what you hear, head over to iTunes. If you feel like leaving us a five-star review and a written review, we're so appreciative of that. We will read those on the show as well. Yeah, guys. And also, Annie, as you know, has been doing Serial Spirits Live. A few weeks back, I started Serial Spirits Live again. My guest host was Steve Brott, who had been on before. We're talking true crime, paranormal, mysteries and conspiracies, everything we cover on the podcast. If you guys aren't familiar with it, it airs every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Paranormal Warehouse's Facebook page. So if you're not already a fan, head over to Facebook, like Paranormal Warehouse. If you hit their notification button on there, you'll get a notification every time one of our shows goes live. Yes, yes, yes. And sometimes I'll be on. Most of the time I won't be. But, you know, it's awesome to see. I talked about it last week on the snippet. We're so pumped for doing a live show now. I can't wait to see what the future holds with the live show. As we know, we're going through COVID-19. We still don't know what's going to get canceled in the future. But as of right now, Mothman Festival, we are doing a podcasting live event with Hillbilly Horror Stories, Hysteria 51, and Mysterious Circumstances. Guys, you can find those tickets on eventbrite.com. Go get them before they're gone because it's going to be a fun time. We love going to Mothman Festival and it's just it's just the tits. Jerry and Tracy Polly, the host of Hillbilly Horror Stories, actually posted last week a poll on their Facebook page and said, are you guys going to feel comfortable with these live shows that we're going to be doing for the rest of the year? They had several planned, and I know they're trying to kind of get a feel of how these are going to go. So if you guys are excited to see us at Mothman Festival, if you plan to be there, even if you don't purchase your tickets right now, please head over to Hillbilly Horror Stories Facebook page and let them know, yes, I want to see you guys live and in person. Before we get into this episode, guys, I just want to give a shout out to our brand new patrons. We have Bethany Hammontree and Cool Scout 09. There are new patrons. You can go to Paranormal Warehouse, become a patron, go to patreon.com backslash Paranormal Warehouse, sign up today. Weebs, what are we doing? Okay, so you know we love a mystery, and we love a UFO story. So how about we go to the land down under to cover both? Here we are, guys. Episode 39, The Disappearance of Frederick Valentik. Every year, one grieving father in Australia makes a pilgrimage to the place where his son disappeared. Even though Freddie Valentich has been missing for close to 20 years, his father has not given up hope. He believes that one day the extraterrestrials who took his son away may decide to bring him back to Earth. That particular day, I was supposed to be with my son on the airplanes, and uh, I feel a little bit sorry that I didn't go, because in my mind, I felt that if I would have been with him, perhaps, one would say, the uh, situation could turn out slightly different. Why would a father return here every year on the anniversary of his son's disappearance and reflect on the possibility that his child had a close encounter with a UFO? Because, Guido Valentic says, knowing Freddy, it's the only explanation that makes sense. He was hardworking and honest, a straight shooter who knew how to fly. His future was to be a commercial pilot. He had about close to 200 hours flying. The last... Uh, 
time I spoke to him was uh, that morning, the 21st of October, at the breakfast table. And as he went out, I remember Dick was saying to me, you know, the last word he said, oh, it's got to be a beautiful day to fly today. Freddie's flight plan that warm, cloudless evening took him over the infamous Bass Strait, an area known as the Australian Bermuda Triangle. There had been other disappearances, reports of mechanical failures and magnetic anomalies, but Valentich was the first pilot to ever report into the control tower that he was in the presence of a threatening UFO. In October 1978, the disappearance of a pilot and his small plane sparked an international mystery and caused controversy between the scientific world and the world of UFO enthusiasts, each claiming that they could provide insight into what really happened. Was it pilot error? Or was something much larger and out of this world responsible for his disappearance? This is the story of Frederick Valentik. The story begins on October 21, 1978, in the area of Bass Strait in Australia. Frederick Valentik was 20 years old and had aspirations of becoming a pilot for the Royal Australian Air Force. He was a member of the Australian Air Force Cadets, then known as the Air Training Corps, which was a program for young people who had hopes of joining the Australian Air Force. Valentik was also studying to become a commercial pilot part-time and had clocked roughly 150 hours of flying time but twice had failed all five courses that he had to take in order to sit for the commercial piloting exam. He had also been cited in several flying incidents, including flying over a controlled zone in Sydney and twice purposefully flying into a cloud and was told that he could be prosecuted for the latter incidents. On the evening of October 21st, Valentik was attempting a training flight that left from mainland Australia to Tasmania over the Bass Strait. It should have been a 125-mile trip from Moorabin to King Island. He was piloting a Cessna 182L, a small private aircraft. With 150 hours of flight time, Valentik was allowed to fly at night only in visual meteorological conditions which meant conditions had to be clear enough that he could visually differentiate the terrain, as opposed to relying on the plane's instrumentation to fly, which took a greater level of skill. At 7.06 p.m., shortly into his flight, Valentik radioed Melbourne Flight Service to report that he was being followed by an unknown aircraft at 4,500 feet. He claimed the aircraft was flying approximately 1,000 feet above him at a high rate of speed, Valentik claimed the aircraft had four large landing lights, all illuminated, with a shiny metal surface and green light. He said the aircraft had approached him from the east, and he felt the pilot of the unknown craft might be toying with him. Shay, I've found the transcript of the call that Valentik made to Melbourne Flight Service, where he spoke with an air traffic controller named Steve Roby. Shay, if you want to do a little role play, we'll reenact the last call that he made to Melbourne Flight Service. All right, Shay, if you want to be Frederick Valentik, then I'll be Steve Roby, the air flight controller. Okay. Do we have to do the... Are we, are we going to do a Australian accents too while we do this? No, we're not going to. Okay. That's not necessary. The following is the last time that anyone had any known contact with Fred Valentik. 
Is there any known traffic below 5,000 feet? No known traffic. I am. Seems to be a large aircraft below 5,000. What type of aircraft is it? I cannot affirm. It's... it is more bright. It seems to me like landing lights. The aircraft should just passed over me at least a thousand feet above. Roger, and it is a large aircraft? Confirm? Er, uh, unknown due to the speed it's traveling. Is there any Air Force aircraft in the vicinity? No known aircraft in the vicinity. It is approaching right now from the, uh, due east towards me. It seems to me that he's playing some sort of game. He's flying over. He's flying over me, too. Three times. At a time at speeds I cannot identify. Roger that. What is your actual level? My level is four and a half thousand four five zero zero. And confirm, you cannot identify the aircraft? Affirmative. Roger, stand by. It's not an aircraft, it's... Can you describe the, uh, aircraft? As it's flying past, it's long shape. Identify more than... It is before me right now, Melbourne. And how large would the, um, object be? It seems like it's stationary. What I'm doing right now is orbiting, and the thing is just orbiting on top of me. Also, it's got green light and sort of metallic, like, it's all shiny on the outside. It just vanished. Would you know what kind of aircraft I've got? Is, is it military aircraft? Confirm the, uh, aircraft just vanished. Say again? Is the aircraft with you? It is, uh, nor now approaching from the southwest. The engine is rough idling. I've got it set for... 23, 24, and the thing is coughing. Roger, what are your intentions? My intentions are uh, to go to King Island, uh, Melbourne. That strange aircraft is hovering on top of me again. It is hovering, and it's not an aircraft. So, Shay, that's where the call ends. There's an open air line for 17 seconds, and then the call is ended. That is the last time that Fred Valentic ever spoke with anyone. Now, we heard a, a little clip of that, a little teaser in the beginning of the episode. And, uh, I mean, it has to be frustrating being there trying to talk to somebody you cannot see and trying right. to describe what you're seeing because it's like they didn't have cell phones back then, so you couldn't pull out a, a video your phone and just be like, oh, see, this is what I'm seeing, you know what I mean, and be able to show somebody later. This has got to be frustrating. And the the air traffic controller is the same way as like, I have no idea what's going on. We don't see anything else around on the on the radar. And so. there are parts that are very broken. Those those pauses that you put in between there are intentional because there were kind of these breakups between what he was saying. So it's almost like Steve Roby, the air traffic controller, was just trying to piece together the information from what he was telling him. And then those 17 seconds of silence, and he vanished. Wow, that's pretty pretty crazy. You know what's funny about this, too, is when this originally happened and this guy went missing, the media jumped on this, and they released that audio. And then I guess the government or somebody came in and shut it down and said, nope, you can't, 
you can't you couldn't release that audio it's you know we, it's an ongoing investigation which is kind of weird too but he was seeing something that he could not explain and neither could the air traffic controller well what you'll hear later in this story is that this kind of blew up in the Australian news and there were so many different theories about what happened and maybe those were the theories that they really wanted to keep quiet oh, all right let's hear it let's do it the last noise that came from that correspondence was what air traffic control called a grating metal noise. Then the line went dead. That was the last correspondence that anyone had with Fred Valentic. Melbourne Flight Service assumed that Valentic had crashed over open water and a search began. The search included ships and civilian airplanes and covered a 1,000-mile radius. Searchers continued until October 25th, but they were called off when nothing was found. All involved assumed that Fred Valentic had been lost at sea. No clue would come for the next five years. Then, in July 1983, an engine cowl flap washed ashore on Flinders Island, an island in the Bass Strait. The Bureau of Air Safety Investigation stated that, quote, the part has been identified as having come from a Cessna 182 aircraft between a certain range of serial numbers which included Valentic's aircraft, end quote. No other evidence of Valentic's proposed crash was ever recovered. Based on the last curious call that Valentic made to Melbourne Flight Service, theories about what had happened to him in the air that day began to form. The seemingly obvious theory was that Valentic, due to his inexperience in flying, had made a fatal mistake and crashed his aircraft. A 2013 article in a publication called The Skeptical Inquirer, offered what they felt was the scientific and only answer to this mystery. A search of weather and astrological data from the night of Valentic's disappearance showed that the four bright lights that he saw hovering above him that night could most likely have been Venus, Mars, Mercury, and the bright star Antares. These four lights could have created the hovering, elongated diamond shape in the sky that Valentic identified on his last call. So what about the green light that Valentic saw in the sky? Researchers believe that actually could have been his own navigation light and that Valentic, inexperienced and in darkening conditions, could have been experiencing something called an illusion of tilted horizon, in which part of the horizon is still illuminated by the setting sun, but the rest of the darkening horizon causes a tilting illusion. The pilot, thinking he was leveling his wings with the horizon, could actually have been flying sideways or even inverted. Disoriented by his surroundings and the bright lights in the sky, Valentic could have been spiraling downwards towards the water, thinking he was still flying level. This could also explain the final metallic noises heard during the last moments of the transmission to Melbourne Flight Service. In a downward spiral, the Cessna 182L would have been losing fuel injection, resulting in the rough, coughing idling that he reported in his last moments. Fred Valentic had been lost at sea, it seemed. Case closed, right? Well, not so fast. After Valentic vanished, others who had been in the same area on the night came forward with their own bizarre stories, which called into question what had really happened to him. Was Fred Valentic being followed by a UFO that night? We'll continue our story after this break. 
You Will Be Offended podcast. Hey guys, my name's Jerry. And I'm Amanda. And we are the host of Warning You Will Be Offended podcast, where we pretty much say whatever the hell we want. We don't care who gets offended, including yourself. Yeah, so if you're someone that needs to edit themselves around family, friends, co-workers, we're that podcast you can listen to and laugh out loud with us. And we like to discuss uh, a little bit of everything, a lot of fun stories that are going on in the news, a lot of stupid criminal stuff, and we do the fun fact of the week. Amanda, do you have a fun fact that you can share with us right now? Approximately half of Australia's koala population has a strand of chlamydia. While different to the strand that affects humans, if a koala urinates on a person, there's a chance you can get an infection. So that is absolutely incredible, and that's what you get if you listen to our podcast every week. So don't be afraid. Don't be politically correct. Come listen to our podcast and have a few hours every month to where you actually feel like you can be yourself. So come on in and join us. My name is Paige, and I'm the host of Reverie True Crime. Reverie means to daydream, but even daydreams can become nightmares. Come join me and get lost in horrific reverie about true crimes and eerie events. Reverie True Crime Podcast, available wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Hey guys, I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. We are the host of Hillbilly Horror Stories. What we do every week is we tell you mostly paranormal stories, and then we throw in a couple of uh, unsolved mysteries, maybe a little bit of true crime if it's creepy enough. And the beauty of this is that Tracy doesn't know the show, correct? This is correct. Never do. So then what happens when you don't know the show? I'm just as surprised as anybody else is. And that's the beauty of what our show is. We basically get the same reactions out of Tracy as what the listener at home is getting, and I think that's been a success to our show so far yeah i think it works we also use our show to promote mental health awareness and suicide awareness every show so we get the added bonus of trying to help people out while you get to listen to paranormal shows amen and that's what's important to us so please subscribe to hillbilly horror stories wherever you listen to your other podcasts you are listening to serial spirits the podcast So before we jump into the rest of this story, I just wanted to make a couple comments about some of these theories that they had that he just crashed his plane. Yeah, it was known that he was kind of an inexperienced pilot. He didn't have as much time in the air, and especially he wasn't allowed to fly at night. And he was flying a Cessna, which for people who don't know, it's a small plane. He was flying the 18L. It's a model. It was about 20-something years old at this point. He, you know, was was not supposed to be flying at night, and it was getting dark, and he was having all these things. But what I don't understand is that he, I think if anybody is flying a plane, I know I've been in the air, I know you've been in the air on a plane, if you're seeing something that's further in the sky, like a star, I mean, wouldn't you think you'd know, oh, that's got to be a star or a, a distant plane further out in the you know horizon? Like, why would they think that he saw that and then assume that that was some UFO, that he's he's looking at Jupiter or the moon or something like that? Well, why the hell would they think that he thought that was a UFO? That doesn't make any sense to me. That's kind of stupidity, I think. I don't know. I hate flying, number one. So, like, I had the worst nightmares about flying. A plane crash is, like, the worst 
for well, me. Well, because you have no control. I mean, you have, you have, you have no, no control. control. Right. Unless you're a pilot, you have no control over what's happening. So pilots like people, you know, Fred Valentic may have been a pilot later on. Those are the people that you have to trust with your life 100%. I also watched all eight seasons of Lost, which, spoiler alert, cover your ears if you ever want to watch it and you haven't, um, is a terrible eight year series of dreams after these people all die in this plane crash well the only plane crash i've ever seen that was horrendous that somebody survived was brad pitt in world war z that was a good one actually he he survived that but i mean just think about this like there's so many things that can happen in the air but this one of these things them describing that he's seeing these lights that i get your point but what i'm what the tilted illusion or the tilted well and i want to talk about that illusion yeah that's spatial disorientation half of the sky is dark Half is still yeah. partially lit from the sun. And so if you are using just that to go by, this visual meteorological cues, that's the only thing that you have to go by. And so if half the sky is dark, the other half is lit, and it's creating this tilting illusion, he could have flipped inverted without even knowing it. Well, let's listen to this clip. This was like the original news report when it came out, when he vanished. So let's take a listen to what they say about what they call spatial disorientation. Missing UFO pilot Frederick Valentich may have crashed while flying upside down, a Department of Transport Authority said today. The department believed it was possible the pilot became disorientated and was seeing the lights of his own aircraft reflected in the water. There's no way that you can lose control of an aeroplane. And basically, when you do become disorientated... um, uh, it's called spatial disorientation. You've lost control of the aeroplane. Uh, you fight to regain your orientation, and it, it is, you know, it's quite a strange feeling, really. And uh, there's no way that you can speak on the radio like he was talking to me. Not as if it's happening to you and you don't know about it. As he was flying inverted in the fading twilight. Of course, what they failed to mention is a Cessna 182 is unable to fly upside down for longer than two or three seconds without stalling, and the conversation lasted for seven minutes. So let's take that into consideration. These guys are, are, are trained, the guys in the tower, and they're saying that they ta- he talked to them for such a long time that if he had that spatial disorientation, he was talking the whole time. So how could he have lost you know, control if he's still talking and trying to figure out what's going on? If he's upside down, the Cessna can only be upside down for two seconds before it starts to stall. Number one, I don't think disorientated is a word. So I'm just going to get rid of that right there. He says it twice, disorientated, disoriented, sorry. Um, I don't know. And maybe that was part of it because he is more focused on the lights that he's seeing, quote unquote, in the sky. And so he's watching that. So think about you're so focused, and we talk about this in a few minutes, on what he thinks is something following him, not this illusion of this tilted horizon. Well, I understand. I mean, but there's 50 million things that could have went wrong, too. They say, you know, these planes, the way that they're built, door could pop open. And at that point, you're just not used to that noise. You hear this new noise all of a sudden because this door opens and you completely just forget how to fly the plane. Yeah, he could have crashed. He could have been had this spatial disorientation crashed. But I just don't believe that he would have just continued these transmissions like he's seeing, like like looking at something, saying, guys, this is going on. What the heck's going on? And then, bam, they don't hear from him anymore. Because I want to believe, Annie. That's why I want to believe. So, Shay, there was some evidence that maybe something was happening that night other than 
this tilted horizon orientation. Do you want to hear about that? Yeah, let's do it. It was no secret to most who knew Fred Valentic that he was an ardent believer in UFOs. So most people who knew him assumed that if something had happened to him that night, he might have jumped to the conclusion that something was following him. But it seemed as if Valentic wasn't the only one who saw something strange in the skies above that area during that time period. Years after Valentic's disappearance, a local farmer came forward and claimed that he, in fact, had seen Valentic's plane the morning after he vanished, and he wasn't alone. The farmer claimed that he saw an unidentified flying object flying in tandem with Valentic's plane. At one point, it actually appeared as if Valentic's plane might have been attached to the unidentified flying object, and it looked as if Valentic's plane was leaking some type of fluid. The farmer said that he was so concerned about what he saw that he actually scratched the plane's registration number onto the tractor that he was driving. The farmer said he kept this story a secret for years because he was afraid of being ridiculed for telling a UFO story. But as it turns out, this farmer wasn't alone. Six weeks after Valentic's disappearance, a photographer named Roy Manifold said that he had also been in the area where Valentic disappeared on that night that he was last seen and he also had a bizarre encounter to tell. Manifold had a camera set up to take pictures of the sunset over Cape Otway, directly under the flight path Valentic was supposed to take that night. Manifold took six photos of the sunset that night, the camera set on automatic exposure. When he had the pictures developed, one contained something that Manifold claimed he had not seen with his naked eye in the air that night. The picture contained a dark mass that appeared to be flying in the air. An Australian photo lab found neither dirt nor damage on the negative, stating that the object was actually in the picture. The negative was then sent to the United States for computer analysis by a team of UFO researchers. They believed that the blot was actually a solid metallic object surrounded by a cloud of exhaust smoke located about a mile from where the camera was situated that night. But a second analysis stated that the mark could have been a developing error. Manifold believed that he captured something that night in the photo, stating that never before or since that occurrence has anything similar shown up in any of his photos. Those were just two of the most unusual sightings that night. In fact, on the night Valentic disappeared, there were hundreds of reported UFO sightings in the area of Geelong, Frankston, Cape Otway, and Brighton. There were so many UFO sightings in Australia in 1978 that ufologists there have called it the biggest flap in Australia's history. Fred Valentic's family was so distraught by his disappearance that they never gave up hope that he might be found. Guido Valentic, Fred's father, passed away in 2000 but years earlier had joined the Victorian UFO Research Center, never giving up hope that his son was alive and had been abducted by aliens. He held a vigil at Cape Otway every year on the anniversary of his disappearance and erected a memorial plaque there in 1998. Fittingly, the plaque was unveiled by Steve Roby, 
the air traffic controller who last spoke with Fred Valentic that night. I've worked around a lot of farmers, and I just got to say this, okay? I've never met more of a truthful group of people because normally you're out in the field working by yourself, you're minding your own business, and you see something strange like this. And he had the, he didn't have anything to write down, so he scratched the numbers of Valentix, what he thought was Valentix plane in in his tractor. Onto his tractor. And there were and actually, and it didn't talk about it. There were some news reports that said the partial number that he scratched was accurate. I think his registration on the tail was VH-DSJ is what I think his his tail number was. And he kept the story to himself. And it's you hear this all the time with these stories. People don't say anything out of th- their fear they're going to get ridiculed. But think about what you said earlier, how quickly they released that in the local news. And then it was pulled again. Yeah. And so immediately, if he had seen something and he saw that on the news, he's thinking, I don't want to say anything. This is going to make me sound crazy. They're going to come to my house. They're going to want to talk to me. He didn't want anything to do with it. But Fred Valentik's father didn't let this story die. I mean, literally until the year before he died, he was there remembering his son's story every year. I mean, all, all these stories, though, all the time, you have somebody goes missing or something big happens. People see a UFO and they're ousted in the news or they're brought about, you know, like Travis Walton and that kind of stuff. If they would have just did the research and looked at everything and you can go back and look at all bunch of these big UFO stories. People saw UFOs that night or there was tons of reports the whole year in these areas. And it's like it all makes sense. I mean, to me. Maybe to you, you know, I'm a firm believer in this kind of stuff. All these people came forward and said, look, guys, uh, something's not right here. He all of a sudden disappeared. He wasn't the most experienced pilot, but he still was experienced. Unless these people just totally made up these stories about what happened, especially the farmer and the hundreds of other people who came forward and said that they saw something strange in the skies that night. I think you can't rule out that something else happened to Fred Valentic. If that was his engine cowl flap that washed ashore on Flinders Island and he had crashed, it confirms what that farmer saw, that his plane is attached to some other aircraft that they see and leaking some type of fluid. Was it gas? Was it oil? I don't know. Yeah, but the funny thing that he said was that he saw the aircraft the day after Valentin supposedly disappeared. So. That's strange. Right. So even if it did crash, there's still this confirmation. I mean, the guy scratched part of the the registration number on his tractor. How would he have known that instead? Exactly. Unless he's just completely 100% lying. Yeah. and, And, you know, I think he would probably be able to recollect. I know it's hard for people to recollect years later exact details of things, but... I mean, he messed completely messed up the day. I mean, that's a possibility, too. He messed up what day he saw it. It could have been the day Valentic disappeared. But Be- he's claiming it was in the morning. I and understand that. Fred Valentic disappeared at night. And it's and he saw what it looked like it was attached to a plane. So there's no way that he would have had enough fuel to last through the whole night. Right. No, he would have crashed before yeah. then. So, I mean, maybe this thing maybe magnetized and attached Valentic's plane and wanted to see what he was about. And he actually was on the ship. Fred Valentic's family was so desperate to think 
that he did not crash and die, that they wanted to believe the theory that he had been abducted by aliens because they thought at some point that he would come back. And his poor dad went there all those years and basically just waited for something to happen. But there's never been anything else found of Fred Valentik's plane other than that engine cowl flap that could have been part of his plane. They said it was within the registration numbers of what Valentics should have been. So I don't know. They said 1978 Australia, they called it the biggest flap in Australia's history. There were all these sightings. I, I don't know whether this one is science or science fiction. I'm literally like 50-50 on the fence with it. You know how I am. I like to throw out all the, uh, I like to debunk stuff. There's just something about some of these stories that just don't make sense to me. And pilots who sit there and describe for seven minutes that they're seeing something and you're telling me that it was the stars in the sky, I just, I don't, I don't buy that story. Whether he just crashed because he was inexperienced and it was almost nighttime, yeah, that's a possibility. But I don't think what he was describing was stars in the sky. Shay, I was like three hours into researching this story and I remembered it immediately when I saw this, the pictures that Roy Manifold took. You know where I first saw this story? Where? I, you know, I was going to ask. Those pictures are released, right? You can the pi- find them Oh, yeah. Pictures. The pictures are, are online. It was on Unsolved Mysteries in 1993. Oh, yeah. They talk about it. So yeah. That must have been, I mean, it, the story was still pretty fresh at that point when it was on Unsolved Mysteries. Right. So there you go. Covered on Unsolved Mysteries. Thank you, Robert Stack. Thank you. October 21st, 1978, 6.19 p.m. The continent of Australia. A single-engine Cessna 182 lifted off from Robin Airport, just south of Melbourne. The pilot was 20-year-old Frederick Valentik. Valentik had been flying for two years, accumulating more than 150 hours of solo time. He had dreams of one day becoming a commercial airline pilot. Well, Annie, we come to another end of the episode, and uh, it was a good one. I mean, it's a very intriguing story. I'm totally about the disappearances of, of people, the mystery, and especially when it involves high strangeness and possible UFO abductions. I mean, you said you're on the fence like 50-50. What are your final thoughts? I mean, what do you really think is going on here? My final thoughts are that Fred Valentik was a rather inexperienced pilot, He did some things that he shouldn't have done. He logged 150 hours of airtime, but he had failed all those courses. Was it possible that he succumbed to some type of engine malfunction because of his own inaccuracies that night? I think that's the logical way to think. But you can't completely discount all of these other sightings that happened that night. So I'm not sure. If you guys have theories about it, let us know. Always. We're always open to new theories. And uh, before we get out of here, I do have one more thing I want to add because I I forgot to do it in the beginning of the episode. I said a couple weeks ago that we have a YouTube page and you can subscribe to YouTube. It's Serial Spirits. Um, any clip that you hear on the shows, guys, I'm putting on a playlist and it's, you can find it on the, it's basically uh, clips from episodes. You can find those videos in full And you can actually see the full news clips, the full stories about 
this story and other stories we covered on the podcast. So don't forget to get on Paranormal Warehouse's Facebook page Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I will be on there live with some awesome guests and some awesome stories. And make sure you go and become a patron. Patreon.com forward slash Paranormal Warehouse. Until next time, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Serial Spirits Podcast. Follow us on all your social media apps, facebook.com slash Serial Spirits, on Twitter at Serial Spirits. Listen to us on all podcasting platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you subscribe. Follow us on our mothership at paranormalwarehouse.com. Become a patron today, www.patreon.com forward slash paranormal warehouse. Until next time, be aware and be safe.